You know, I didn't get to go to one of her shows. You know, it was a little before my time. What can you describe it all? What was it like to be at one of those shows with her doing her thing and you in the band? What was the show like? Uh, a lot of fine women, a lot of LBGT, uh, a lot of guys that 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 you know was just drawn to Betty. And you go, you know, we come in, we go on the stage, and, you know, here come the joints. Just flying. I mean, you know, all on the stage, people throwing joints and stuff. Because they, they think we, you know, just like that. And so, Betty ain't even paying any attention. Uh, we learn a show from A to B. I mean, from A to C. Anything happened in between that? We gotta go back to A. That's how. That's how she is about live performing. She got the show in her head, and I remember we were in D.C. and they stopped the show because the sound was only coming through the monitors. And uh, when they stopped the show, she just booked off the stage. And then when they fixed them, we had to start at the top again. You know, so she was, I'm not sure how she, you know, most people, when you're gigging, you're in the moment, you're grooving. You don't matter. If, if something happens, they stop and they fix it, you pick it up and get on with it, you know. Uh, she wasn't musical like that. But, and she never wrote a song it didn't involve, I want to say it didn't involve sex. Not sex so much, or the idea of being sexual, or the idea of, of pleasing somebody, or somebody didn't please me, you know, he was a big freak. You know, I, I you know, once I found, once I learned the music, and then I see the, see the lyrics, I mean, see the title, I didn't have to go to the lyrics, you just see the title. And there's a pattern. And to do four albums, all about that, you know. And then the costumes. Uh, her and LaBelle was on this kind of the same thing for the costumes, except for uh, Betty would wear some lingerie on the stage and the high boots. But she taught me a lot. She really did. Did, did you ever sense she was frustrated not being able to, you know, get more sales or more radio play or anything like that? Very, very. Um, 
I always talked about if she was a man, you know, and I would say, I bet if you was a man, you you probably wouldn't be where you at now, because what you are selling right now, people are buying, but society ain't ready for that, you know. Uh, slowly, they got when I was when I was growing up watching black and white TV. You ain't see nobody kissing <laughs> on TV, let alone you know what what you see on TV now. They they would show married people in separate beds back then. You know, it was like it's it's crazy. <laughs> so she was a little bit ahead of her time, but it wasn't fair. And I think that's what kind of upset her. Um, so you had mentioned you got to uh, play with some other pretty cool bands of that time, though. Like, uh, were you on bills with like Parliament or Funkadelic or the Ohio Players or all of them? You know, uh, we would play with um, uh, George Clinton, Funkadelic, Parliament, Bootsy. Um, uh, Gap Band, War. Uh, it, it would go on and on. Uh, we even we even did a thing in New York. I don't know what it was about with Roscoe Lee Brown, and uh, and uh, uh, we went to Ireland, not to Ireland. We went to London. We played for. Uh, What's her name? She's an actress. Red. Something red. Vanessa Redgrave? Right. I knew it was something red. We played for her. Um, we did some gigs that were great, and we did some gigs that were unexpected, like the, like the, uh, um, like the one in London. We stayed there for two, two weeks every night. We were there for two weeks. And I say, they must have got that confused. <laughs> were they any, any more accepting uh, of, you know, her presentation overseas than they were in America? Uh, when we played the jazz club, I don't know whether or not they looked or listened to some of her stuff to see, you know, what she was about. If they just said, well, okay, this is my Davis wife. Let's book her in, in Ronnie Scott's. And uh, it's like people, the first one was closer than me and you. And we had a song that started with a gong. I had to hit a gong. And uh, the people, they were just sitting there like this. And they'd clap when we finished and stuff. And she running all around the stage and legs all up and, you know, but then they kept coming, so I, 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 you know, I don't know. When we were in London, we stayed at um, uh, Blackwell's. Uh, Chris Blackwell, we stayed at his, uh, yeah, like a ranch. But all of the, all of the, um, the stalls for the horses and stuff, they were turned into one bedroom, things like a hotel. And uh, uh, Palmer stayed in the house in the what you call i guess the ranch house um 
and we would go in there and play with him for a while. And that was right around the time that's when I got him to sneak and Sally through the alley. Um, and um, we would go hang out with Eddie Offit, which was strange because uh, Eddie, when we, after we met him, we would go to the, to the pubs and we would drink the beer, that warm beer. And I, I fell in love with Guinness Stout, but Eddie would do the Lotus. And one night he was doing the Lotus, he got drunk and he got stuck. And we, and we had to pull his legs out. So, but we go to his uh, apartment. Well, it was really like this building and all the way up in the top, he had a studio. He had a full 24 track studio. And we go up there in town, and it'd be like maybe 30, 40 people. And, you know, reefer everywhere. Now, this is the time when they had the commercial on TV. They used to run talking about if you get caught with drugs over there, you're in for the time of your life, right? So, hey, we sitting in there. I see these two people walking through. And I said, oh, what's it on his head? And there were them bodies. <laughs> And they walked through, man, and I was like, boy, we ain't going on no time soon. But they said something to him, and, and they left. Uh, you know, London, I love London, Kensington Market especially. I, was going, I, went, I went with one suitcase, came back with five. I was just buying stuff. I loved it. Did, did, um, did Betty ever indicate that she was, you know, a fan of people like Jimi Hendrix and Sly Stone and that I mentioned as influences? <laughs> that, uh, a fan of, 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 of Jimi Hendrix can be putting it lightly. Um, there was, uh, when Jimi, when, that was a thing I read that said, uh, this girl came up to um, Miles and said, Miles, I want to have sex with you. And Miles said, many have. <laughs> so he said, so what, you know, what, what make you different? And she said, because your old lady fucking my old man. He said, who's your old man? And she said, Jimi Hendrix. So when Jimmy died, Jimmy uh, this girl, I forget her name, and Miles led the film, but Miles didn't want to go, you know, because uh, that was that. <laughs> and I asked, I asked Betty uh, about a month ago. I said, Betty, what kind of man was Jimmy Hendrix? And she said he was he was real gentle and stuff, you know. Every time I talk to her, I ask her about somebody. You know, because she's been around everybody. I'm talking about from your brother to 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 Jimi Hendrix, Miles Davis, and every jazz musician it is. Whenever we play, they want to come and see it uh, from, um, what's that guy's name? Drummer. Wiggins. Um, everybody, we go, we go places. And she, she never really went out and listened to any music much. Uh, I don't know I don't know what she liked except for that dancing stuff. 
Well, certainly the sound, you know, seems to borrow a lot from Hendrix and Stone, you know, Sly and stuff like that. Um, which, you know, is the, the, the bedrock of funk rock, you know, that stuff. So, um, go take some, get some, you know, got, and then the funkadelic, and, you yeah. know, I, I asked when I was sitting talking to George when at the show, grab, I, I said, man, uh, yeah, Betty, I say, I, I, I just did make the show because it's Betty's birthday today. And he say, how is she? I say, she don't think say it's, she's still in Pittsburgh. I say, yeah, you know, uh, and he was saying, I say, I would call her, but it's like 1130. You know, when the show got over, I would have called her, but, uh, you know, it was uh, kind of late. And, and when you think about the road that you travel, and you think about the people that you traveled it with. Some you know, some you don't know. But you are, you, you're all doing the same thing. You all got the same kind of purpose and mindset. And then Betty, somebody like Betty, gets hip to the music business, which is way to the left of the music. You know, I, I did a lot of research on because I couldn't understand some things. You know, I did a lot of research and I, and I found out that the record industry was basically found sort of kind of like all of these uh, uh, Eastern cats because they had all. And records were made from the sludge of oil. So you look at look at like Atlantic, Ahmed Gerdigan, you know, he, uh, and uh, and I met him with Betty. I met, I tell you about some people I met with Betty, which is really funny. Uh, but that's how they were making, you know, they would make the records. And so they were saying, well, let's do a record company and do things. Yeah, and so after you get your record played and everything, you got to get some money. Back then, payola was happening. Mm -hmm. You know? Then you got Morris Levy. Morris Levy, only distributor, Morris Levy would press 5000 for you and 2000 for him. So, you know, when you look at the thing, and you go get your money, and he said, "No, nah, this is what you made." Uh, Barry Gordon said he had to make a deal with uh, with the mafia to collect his money from the Jewish guys. So once Betty was able to pull together the performance, the recording, and all this stuff, that business wall jumped up. You know. It's uh, there's people that do that for a business every day, promoters, uh, and 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 uh, record executives, and A and R men, and you know the art department, the graphic department, and you know once she go through all of that, and then you got to get up on the stage, you really and I don't think she had anybody that she really trust but her brother Chucky, and he didn't know the business. He was a mailman. He, he stopped. He stopped doing that to help Betty, you know, to be her road manager. So she had some challenges, 
no doubt. Um, the big machine, the big music industry machine, you know. Oh, um, just stepping back for a second, the Sly Stone thing I want to mention for viewers and listeners. You mentioned the Jimi Hendrix connection, which was an intimate one. But the Sly Stone connection also went through on her first record, uh, Greg Errico produced right. it, who was Sly's drummer. He's been on this show also. And, um, you know, of course, Larry, uh, you know, Graham and uh, Herschel Happiness from uh, Grand Central Station, those guys were playing on there. So um, there was a direct connection to Sly through that. Um, yeah. How, how did you feel about, about that... Um, nasty gal album you know once it was done and it was out there and did you feel proud of it did you feel you know like what were did you have a favorite track or how'd you feel about it uh, i feel i feel pretty good about the way we recorded it that's the first time we ever recorded together and uh my favorite song was uh <clears throat> I'm just a child. The one that Miles wrote, uh, the ballad. That's the only time she's ever done a ballad. That I, you know, a you, real you and I. Yeah, you and I. Uh, I like that. And uh, talk trash to me was happening too. Yeah, yeah like that's that's rock. some serious funk rock. That track. I'm so old. I can't even remember. <laughs> when, did you guys do any cover songs uh, when you went out and did shows or only the album songs? Yeah. We, we had an intro for her and uh, we had a different intro when we were for the girls and then we had a, a, another intro when we were just guys. I liked when the girls were with us, you know, but I think uh, finances. But then it became, uh, it was pretty cool because Debbie Burrell, I've seen Debbie Burrell in 40 years, and her daughter found us on Facebook. And uh, my man sitting here with me today, he got a message with some girl. Look if you say, I'm only sing with y'all. And it just so happened that two weeks after that, she, would, she had to come down to Raleigh, North Carolina, and we met over in Raleigh. And that was great. But when Debbie left us, she went, she uh, she was a munchkin in the Wiz. And then after that, she did Ain't Misbehaving. And then she, la she landed, uh, she was one of the three girls out front in Dream Girls. Wow. So, yeah, she she she's really good. I got pictures of her with some of everybody. Uh, so she did pretty good, and she's still doing pretty good. Her husband. Her husband, she married a guy from, uh, what's, the, what's the big uh, booking agency in New York? Uh, not ICM, but somebody, she married this big guy from uh, the booking agency, the largest one in, in New York. Wow. And so now her name is Debbie Cleveland. But uh, the other girls, one of them was singing with the voices of East Holland. That was Elaine. And the other girl, I can't remember what she what she was doing. So you you had, men you had mentioned the uh, that unreleased record, which eventually came out. Is it Love or Desire? Um, I think it was like 
a couple decades before it saw light of day, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, guy called me. Um, what's his name? Um, from Light in the Attic Records. And he was he was asking that I know where you know the masters and stuff might have gone and this and that, and he was saying he wanted to re-release the stuff. <clears throat> and uh, pretty soon he did, and uh, I got to do liner notes. He hooked me up with this guy, uh, Philip Philip Wayne, a, a writer out in L.A. And he did the liner notes on uh, the re-release. But that was that wasn't Oliver Wang, yeah. But Oliver Lane, but he did the I did the line of notes on release of Nancy Gal, and then after that he did uh, Love and Desire. So Love and Desire, how much did that end up like you thought it might, or how much together was it back in the seventies when it was dropped? Love Desire. Yeah, that that how much was it a complete record back in the seventies? You know, was it was it ready to go then, or did it kind oh, of? Yeah. yeah, it was ready to go. It was it was a business thing. Um, I, I think Alan Alan was paying for it. They sent us to Bogalusa, Louisiana, to a studio in the country. We were there for at least three weeks. I might have been there four. They had a lady come in, cook twice a day. Her and her daughter would come and do your laundry. And uh, they had a Sakonga drive the studio. Doctors, I don't know what I did. You go to the studio, do our thing, come back. And uh, that was the first time I used overhive keyboards. And the studio was at our access 24 hours a day. That's how you pay for it. All of that's like a package. So, well, that was the second time Betty got mad at us because we wanted to cut some of our stuff. And we went up to the studio and stayed in the studio about three hours before it was time for her to come in. We were there all night long. And the, the guys were falling asleep on the board. But uh, it was ready. It was ready, man. It, it hadn't been mixed and mastered uh, when I left. But uh, the money didn't come. Are you, are you playing the clavinet on that love or desire? Uh, it's sort of like the clavinet and that, uh, that overhind. It was overhind keyboard in there. I'd never used it before. OBX or something like that. She had new toys. She would, you know, she would only let me do clavinet, organ, and uh, I don't think I ever did any keyboard, any piano. It was just clavinet and organ. We were pre-synthesizing. Boy, we could have been funky then. <laughs> we would have been right. Yeah, well, you mentioned if she had come a little later with Prince, you know, but also even, you know, curious what it might have ended up like if George Clinton got a hold of her too and done something with her back in the, the prime. Um, I, I think George, I think George say, whoa, 
let me do something for myself. And that's how the parlance in the prize of Frankenstein, you know what I'm saying? George kept George kept his thing right in there. He kept he kept everything that he did around his concept. The only person that he let go outside of that concept was Boosie. But Boosie was in that concept, but you know, his, his thing was a little bit to the left too. Because uh, he had his own thing he was cultivating. and uh, But he was still having George. Now, I, I wanted to compare him and Prince, this business-wise, because Prince started to do the same thing with these different acts, with the time, with the... Uh, um, Vanity. Yeah, the girls and all of that stuff. But his base went to the left after that first after his first big notoriety uh uh jimmy jam and terry lewis they started saying hey man you know and they went to produce and got caught in the snowstorm down in atlanta working with uh, the sos band and that's what pissed him off you know uh, and then he also said that they were they were giving away the sound. The Minneapolis the sound. sound. Yeah. It, that's the sound is a is the most unique thing for a band or for an artist. You know, the song is is one thing, but that sound. You know, uh, because Prince was like he was a free spirit man. There's no way I couldn't even put on half the stuff he put on to come out on the stage. But then again, the music, you know, and once you give, he had a unique sound. to give it away. George, George and them sound wasn't so unique, but the message and the feeling, they had that, you know, they had that funk thing. They could, they could do, uh, uh, Tell the roof off the sucker all night. And because of what you did say the way that the, the way it's in there. Yeah. You know. It's so hypnotic, you yeah. Yeah. Um so why do you think uh why did Betty end up sort of go go into, you know, being reclusive and sort of hiding and did she get fed up? Was it because her I heard her father uh passed on? What what happened? Betty actually <clears throat> and, you know I feel I feel like family to Betty and Betty feel like family to me. Like last night when I said, you know, okay, I'll talk to you later. She said, Okay, I love you. And I said, I love you. So I just don't, you know, talk about certain things. Um well, it sounded to me like she was sort of frustrated with the, what you talked about the whole music machine and, you know, the way things were, that maybe she couldn't um, really do what she wanted to, um, yeah. you know? Yes, uh, because her, her manager, I'm not sure how strong he was because his family, he was Italian. And his family was in the in the in the uh, garbage business in New York, and 
he married a black girl and he got the boot. So I'm not sure what he knew about music. I'm not sure he came from that background. You know, you, you, you want somebody to know this ain't cool or this is cool or I might need to get the money up. Well, I always get the money up front. Or I might need to do this or that. Uh, when he left, we had done a gig. It was around Christmas time. He got paid. On the way back, he decided to stop at the mall or something and get the presents from his wife and his children and his girl, daughter. He left all the money in the store in the briefcase. So that was kind of the beginning of his demise. Mm. You know, um, and it, it was it was almost we were having fun. We were really having fun. You know. Five years ago I just got through listening to Larry Graham play with Slashstone. And now we opening up for them, and 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 they saying like, "Hey, yeah, I ain't got to put this stuff up there. Use our stuff." And I'm like, "Whoa!" Because number one, Larry Graham's the last loudest band I ever heard in my life. Graham Central Station, <laughs> good gracious. Their show but, is incredible. I've seen them many times, and even nowadays, I mean, he still kicks butt. I went to New York to see him about maybe eight years ago. He was up there. Herschel wasn't with him, and uh, the drummer wasn't with him, and the guitar player wasn't with him. But uh, he still gets it done. He's one of the nicest guys, though, man. You know, and see, his kind of funk is more well. He, he's the reason he does that is because he was playing at church with his mama, you know, and uh, he blah 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 blah. But uh, his funk is more like that, <laughs> you know. They kind of, I'm in church funk, the, the holy funk, you know. Um, and George is straight, straight ahead. But everything that Boosie learned from James Brown was brought to that, that, that extension of, of funk. James Brown was the man. He was, uh, you know, hey. When I was in high school, we didn't know it was funk. <laughs> we, you know, not until uh, George came and, and called it funk. Yeah, we want the funk. So I said, oh, we don't have the funk. You know, but we didn't know, we, we wasn't here. So when Boosie left James Brown and came and laid his thing on there with George, and George, George was, psychedelic to me. He was black psychedelic before Boosie kind of came and calmed it down. Yeah. But he still kept the concept. So then Prince has played some phenomenal funk stuff that it makes you it makes you wonder, okay, that's fun. This is fun. What the funk is going on? You know, the Prince's funk is a whole different thing. You, yeah. you can't, you probably can't name 
10 funk bands that you really think are funk bands. 10 funk bands? Are you, are you, yeah, well, I mean, funk is it for me. So I would say Ohio Players, Parliament Funkadelic, uh, The Time, Bootsy's Rubber Band, um, Cool in the Gang, old Cool in the Gang. You know, that was one of the first places that I heard funk as a label because they did, I can't get enough of that funky stuff before right. Tear the Roof Off. But see, in my, when I evaluated, one, two, three, maybe three of three of those bands that you that you named, they had one or two funky songs. But to me, they wasn't a funky band. Like Cool in the Game. <sighs> I want to say the time because they had a concept with the mirror and all that stuff. Yeah, but uh, what's my dig was funky seven 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 nine eleven, and the first one I ever heard drove me crazy. Get up, then be a good time. Yeah, get, get it up, yeah. Good God, that was funky. Yeah. you know now Jesse Jesse uh, guitar player. Uh, what's his name? Jesse Johnson. Jesse Johnson. He was right. And Terry, 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 I mean, Terry and uh, and your boy was funky too. But see, like when they went with Janet Jackson, if, if then they produced her, okay, you can say they did one or two funky songs on it, but her album wasn't funky. So, or either you could call it sterile funk. To me, it wasn't as raw as, as, as Parliament Funkadelic and, oh, God. I, I, can't, I can't think of nobody else who matches them in funk. Well, no, they're they're like their own thing. But I would still consider bands like Grand Central Station and uh, yeah, yeah. players as, as, as funk groups. Um, well, you're the expert. <laughs> Uh, so I noticed, um, you know, they re they years later, they released this crash in for passion record for Betty that had a lot more disco influence and different people playing on it. They credited Herbie Hancock and Alphonse Muzan and people like that. That was way different from the other stuff that she did. And I was wondering, too, if like that kind of also made her want to just, you know, back away. Well, she went, okay, after we had the falling out in uh, Bogalusa, she did the Betty to me. Larry, uh, uh, Larry, Nikki, and not even Collins. I think Collins went to West Virginia. But I didn't know they were out in L.A. recording until they got back. She just didn't call me. You know, so I'm thinking, you know, everything ain't nothing happening. Still ain't nothing happening. And uh, Funk House has stopped, stopped gigging. This was 78. And my first daughter. And I was managing the nightclub. And I said, man, I'm, you know, this, this ain't, you know, this ain't hitting it. So I went to, uh, I went to Charlotte. 
stayed down there for a while. And then that, that's when they called me, Nick and them uh, called me at first. So after, all, every, after everything went down, I went to, I, I went to see James Brown in Roanoke, Virginia. 1981 or 82. I couldn't even get into parking deck, parking lot because it was full of ice. But the guy I was telling you about from Charlotte, uh, who his band in Charlotte is uh, Sign of the Times. And uh, I went to see him because he was playing trombone. So he gave me passes because I'd never seen James Brown. And uh, I'm backstage. And I hear people talking about, hey man, the show been canceled, and this and that. And I walked past this guy, and he walked past me, and we both turned around and called each other's name. So it was a friend of mine from uh, Petersburg. And he said, uh, man, I might be able to get you this keyboard gig with, uh, with uh, Blue Notes. They were playing, not the Blue Notes, Harold Melvin. They were, he was playing the trumpet. Daryl and they was playing trumpet. I mean, we were playing the horn section, chops, horn section. So he gave me a call, and he said, well, no, they found somebody. But look, man, we trying to get this deal, man. But we ain't got nobody to write, you know, and do this and that. And he was in Elizabeth, New Jersey. I have a sister who's been in Plainfield, New Jersey, ever since she got out of college. <clears throat> and um, so I said, hey, man. So I went up there, and we, they were playing with uh, Sugar Hill Records. Everything, Sugar Hill Records, horns, they did them all. Then they got the call that uh, police are looking for uh, a horn section. And I'm like, I'm like the petty thing with the police. <laughs> <laughs> and so they ended up and they got they got the gig, but only three of them went two saxes and a trumpet. And at the same time that they were doing that, I was helping the guys record uh, demos. We were all over New York with spec deals, you know, uh, at Melbourne Moore's Park South Studio, at Sugar Hill Studio, at a, at a studio up in. Uh, Bear Mountain or somewhere, you know, trying to trying to get it together, and uh, that's how I progressed in what I was doing. And so when the cats, they we had had they had had Betty Davis at the homecoming back in the seventies, and he said, "Hey man, you still you still let's let's do something on Betty. Let's try to do something on Betty." So I called Betty. Better come down. We go pick her up. Put her in the hotel. We were staying at the hotel. You know, everything we, we had, Atlantic was paying for it. Food. I'm, I'm like, you know, eating lobster for breakfast. And uh, <laughs> and so Betty came. We paying her bill. You know, food. Waiting to finish the track. At, we were at Unique Studio. We waiting to finish some tracks to start her tracks. Because we doing like this production thing with Atlantic. Betty, her view ain't right in her room. We got, she wants to be moved to another room. 
but she can see things. And you know, we like, man, that ain't even supposed to be here. <laughs> so, but we never, she helped me, uh, she wrote a couple of lines on a song that I did, uh, Your Red Hot Love, but we never got around to recording her because while we were waiting, they had dropped the album and uh, it wasn't happening. You know, it, it wasn't happening with how they wanted to be because they had us in a, a different, we were signed by Jason Flong. And, but at that time, every, every black group of black artists had to go through Henry Allen for promotion and stuff. So we out here doing things and stuff, and they sitting back talking about, well, I know they'll be over here soon. You know, and by the time we got over there, it wasn't, it wasn't how we put, put a bunch of money in production and everything. And so that's how me and Betty reconnected after all those years. And what, what year was that? 1982 or 84. We did the album, in I think the album dropped in 84. And then after that, not until I get a uh, until I get a phone call from uh, Phil Cox, you know, and uh, he sounded like uh, you know I'm a film uh, guy over here in London, and we like to do something on Betty, but we like to talk to the band, and that's what got us rolling Funk House. As what what year do you think that might have been, uh, Fred? What year did the movie come out? 2017. It was 2015. 2015. Yeah. So you guys, uh, it was cool to see you guys together again in that film. And you guys sounded great in it. How did you feel about how that project turned out? Uh, first time I saw it, we were in Pittsburgh. And... Uh, I, I really liked I really liked it because I spent a lot of time with Phil. When, when he came to shoot us, he shot us in Greensboro. But I brought him, he stayed in Greensboro almost a week. And I would go get him and bring him to Greensville over to uh, uh, Betty's aunt's house. We'd go out in the country riding, looking for country scenes and stuff. And, you know, and then we'd be playing in the club. We shot that. Uh, once I saw it all put together, it was really it was really cool. Um, it's I don't know how to say it, but it's um, there were a lot more things I guess because the one thing I I didn't, I didn't understand why um, why my man wasn't in the film uh, um, from Woodstock. The producer, oh. uh, but he came. He came to the screening when uh, Erica Badu interest, uh, introduced us, and so everything it was, it was it was pretty neat. Now, what I really like was uh, Tales from the Tour Bus. <laughs> yeah, was that fun? That must have been a kick to see to see it uh, animated and all that. That was man. I have people on friends about on Facebook. Oh man, you're a cartoon. <laughs> I really liked it, and it was, you know, that was the last thing. No, 
the last thing we did with Carlos was, was Canada. We went to Canada. And, uh, you know, I used to get on Carlos a lot uh, about habits and things. But after after Betty Thane stopped and everything, he never he never wanted to put his feet on the ground. He just kept moving, moving. And so he went out to LA. And then the next thing I know, I see him on a boat in the Disney thing, riding down the street. I mean riding down the uh, the uh, stream with Julia Lennon. And I said, Bow. And so then uh because I didn't know what happened to him away, man. And uh, then when he came home, he wasn't, he was like he didn't have no money. And uh, I used to get him, I said, man, you, 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 you wrote two songs and played on an album of one of the Beatles that shipped gold. And you ain't got no money, you know. So I, I don't know, man. And then, so I used to get on him a lot about his social life. And uh, when we went to Canada, the promoter came to him when he was paying us everything. He said, "Hey, man, y'all don't need to bring Carlos out here on the road like that." And uh, Four weeks later, you were dead. Mm. So, you know, I had, I, I, you know, <clears throat> started playing with him in the 70s. You know, that's, I'm thankful that we got to play again 40 years after, you know, and, and you know, he was uh, <laughs> the bass player, uh, Nicky and Larry. Man, we had put something together, man. And, we we man, we just need to do this right here, cause uh, that gigging thing. I ain't going back on the road like that, you know. Uh, we were sounding good, but we couldn't handle the road like that, you know. And and then I tried to tell him, Betty ain't with us, man, you know. You go to Betty Davis band. I don't know if I want to see that. I said we lucky that we can follow the film. You know, and, and do the film. Uh, then some some things started coming in for us, but it was like the film and us, and 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 half of them couldn't afford the film and us. Mm-hmm. So then the film, and then now the film is on Amazon. You know, so it's no everybody can sit in their house and watch it. Yeah. 